0: Have your Bibles. Um, let's go back to the Book of Acts. Go back to the Book of Acts, and we'll look at um, Acts chapter ten. Um, I figured uh, since this is Mission Sunday, it's a great way for us to to speak about uh, the importance uh, of uh, just the the importance of, of the gospel and the mission of the gospel, the mission that the gospel gives to you and I as believers in Christ. And so, um, we're going to look at a uh, gospel. Um, gospel for uh, for sinners Um, and uh, so we are going to look at Acts chapter 10 now we will I will read um, only the first eight verses but we will uh, we will go through the entire through the entire chapter uh, tonight so um, and we'll just sort of we'll go we'll hit verse by verse or section by section as we go so um, but in Acts chapter 10 uh, and if you're physically able to do so I do invite you to uh, stand with me one final time um, Acts chapter 10 beginning verse 1 going through verse uh, 8 and uh, this is the word of the Lord given to us tonight this afternoon. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius a centurion of the band called the Italian cohort of the Italian band a devout man and one that feared God with all of his house and which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always he saw in a vision evident, evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying to him Cornelius. And when he had looked on him, he he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms are come up up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. And he lodges with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell you what you ought to, to do. And when the angel which spoke to Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things to him, he sent them to Joppa. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. May you bless it now. Give us guidance and direction in it. May your word go forth and accomplish its purpose in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Uh, There there was a a funny story that appeared some years ago in a a newspaper in uh, Danbury, Connecticut. I thought it was an interesting story. I may have told this story before, I don't remember, I don't think so, but it's a story of two apples who were up in a tree, and they were conversing, and they were looking out, and they were talking about everything that was going on in the world. They were talking and discussing about uh, all the troubles that people were going through and all the trials that they saw from their, from their lofty perches, and uh, they began to to discuss about all the wars and the greed and the problems and the trials and... One, one apple turned to the other apple and he, he said, you know, one day um, people are just going to kill themselves and we're, the apples are going to rule the world, to which the second apple turned to the first apple and he said, which ones, the red or the green? Um, and so the, I, think the, I think the purpose of that little story serves, serves well for what we're going to talk about today. Uh, a little story serves sort of to to, to talk about uh, the struggle that we face sometimes when we're when we're presenting the gospel is um, just the, the, the importance for us to not ignore or excuse our um, our call to to proclaim Christ to every person. That uh, that that has that lives on the face of the earth. We are called to preach Jesus to everyone, everywhere. This is this is the gospel call. There, there are not uh, certain groups or people that we're supposed to call the call to repentance and faith. So it doesn 't matter, for instance, if someone is rich or poor they, they own a um, you know a, a, a mansion or they are homeless they're educated uneducated blue collar professional, um, you know um, just uh, making it uh, you know single mom just barely scraping by, um, young or old, you know where they live it, do, it doesn't matter i mean it's interesting that, that that this issue this whole issue of of who who is in and who is out, really has gone back for, for millennia, in, 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 in even so far as you, you can find, if, you, if you've ever read any of the writings, not, not that you would, but if, you, if you're like me and do enjoy um, some of the older writings, um, you know, reading Aristotle and, and uh, some of the Greek philosophers, and it's interesting that um, Aristotle even believed, um, living several hundred years before Christ, uh, he believed that uh, uh, those who those who lived in the in the uh, in the north uh, of where uh, Greece was, they believed that uh, they they had plenty of courage and spirit, but didn't believe that they had any kind of mental um, capacity to figure anything out. He believed that those who were who were in the south of Greece uh, and they uh, um, they, uh, they they had great intellectual capacity, but they had no. Um, Uh, No skill with war, and he believed that only only those who were from, uh, you know, Athens and that that area, Greece as a whole, were perfectly suited uh, to uh, uh, for for being the right type of people to to populate the world. And it's interesting that that this whole idea has has gone on throughout the centuries, throughout mankind. Um, And so this morning or this evening, what I want to do is I want to just show us three three truths from our text as we look at the gospel for the nations um, as we look at the the hope of the nations through the gospel I want to show you three truths here that I've pulled from our text and I just want to go through them one one by one here's the first truth the first truth is this it's found in verses one through eight it's simply this is that God is at work in the world to direct all kinds of people to the gospel God is at work in the world to direct all kinds of people to the gospel now it is interesting that before this point up until chapter nine um, who has the gospel gone to well, the gospel to this point in the book of Acts has only gone to the Jews. Uh, as, we, as we begin to transition right before uh, chapter 10, um, we, uh, we have uh, Stephen and uh, his preaching in chapter 7, and then uh, in chapter um, uh, chapter 9 we have the conversion of Saul. But up until, uh, up until this point, it's only gone to uh, the Jews with a few God-fearers thrown in there, a few uh, Hellenistic Jews. Um, and so, all of this was was Jewish. And so, God, what God does in this point in, in in Cornelius's conversion, is He strategically converts someone, so that the church is then positioned to move from just preaching the gospel to Jews and to Hellenists those who spoke those who were Jews but spoke the Greek language. Now, it, the gospel is going to go to the entire world. And this is, the, this is the mission, and this was God's strategic conversion here in Cornelius, coming to faith in Christ. After all, Cornelius was a was a centurion. And and by the way, I don't know if you know this, but throughout scripture, if you see centur- the, the, the title centurion, uh, they are always presented, they're always presented as very po- in a very positive way. A centurion was always presented. They, they would have probably uh, the rank of in our armed forces today, they would they would be equal to the rank of a captain. Uh, and so they were—they uh, were—they were—they um, overs- oversaw and had—they uh, had the uh, the rank to back it up. They oversaw the troops and had the rank to back it up, and they were—they uh, were to be—they um, commanded respect and they commanded um, dignity for their office or their rank uh, within the army because nobody, just anybody, didn't become a centurion. You had to show your medal and prove your worth in battle, and in all this, um, all, all of the uh, the other ways, your loyalty to the to the empire. But he was a he was a centurion, and uh, he was also though a Gentile. Uh, he wasn't a Jew, and he wasn't even a proselyte. Although it is said of Cornelius, as you read through Acts chapter ten, you will see that he does many good things for the Jews and for the for building synagogues and uh, in, in giving his alms and his tithes to the to the Jewish synagogues. I, but but instead he was he was a Gentile he was actually from Italy because that's what it says he's from the Italian band or the Italian cohort or the Italian regiment that is a regiment that was sent out from Italy to uh, to this area specifically to provide cover and help and 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 pro- provide for safety in this area actually Acts eight is the only other occurrence to any type of a Gentile being. Being converted, and Cornelius is going to serve really as a as a way for God to, or as 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 a door opening for God to then begin to spread the the gospel, or the church to spread the gospel through the to the nations. And I would say this: not only not only was he centurion, not only was a Gentile, but he was also a very influential man. And how do we know this? Well, we know this because he was a man who was of 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 military rank. He was a man who had status. He was a man who had wealth, and the doors in God converting this one man. What he does is he he opens he opens the door for the church to then begin to be able to, to evangelize the uh, military uh, among, um, uh, among 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 uh, uh, underneath not just Cornelius but others. As a matter of fact, there were two main groups of early conversions outside of the Jewish people that we know of within the within the Roman world. And you want to guess who those were? One were the slaves, and the other were the soldiers. Now, the slaves and the soldiers were the two groups who um, came to faith in Christ very quickly. And it, it's an interesting door that God opens here in this. But it does show us that in, even, in, even despite his, his rank and his wealth and his, his position in, in life uh, as being a Gentile, it does show us something else here, doesn't it? Not only that in, in us saying that God is at work in the world to direct all kinds of people, right? But what, it, what does it really show us here in Acts chapter 10? Cornelius, by all worldly purposes and all worldly standards, was a good man. He really was. He loved his family. He took care of his family. He was an honorable man. He worked hard. He, over, he was faithful in the, in the, in the army that he, and, and his loyalty to the empire to oversee these things. And I think I think what it really does is it really shows us that even good people must repent and believe the gospel. It's not just about bad people. It's not just about people that are less desirable. it's, it's, It's good people. Good people need to repent and believe the gospel as well. All types of people need to repent and believe, not just the bad, but the good, too. This man was a devout man. He feared God even. He was a spiritual leader in his home. It says with all of his household, he ends up gathering all of the people together, even his soldiers, under his command to hear the gospel. Listen, it is amazing that even before he himself has come to believe the gospel, he knows that God has appeared to him by sending an angel to him, and he, he, he not only brings together his entire household and all of his servants, he then summons all of the soldiers under his command to come and hear. Like this guy is serious about desiring others to hear this message of of good news that God was telling him that this man named Simon Peter, who was currently living with Simon the Tanner in Joppa, was going to bring, and he wanted them to hear the good news. He wanted them to respond to this good news the same way that uh, the same way that he would. He was a generous man. He was a man of even prayer. He was a man of fasting. He was a righteous man. And and it's interesting. Um, We must be careful. We must be very careful about the things that we assume about people and the things we assume about their spiritual condition. And I'll tell you you why. I know I've I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. Um, There was a gentleman in, in in, in, in my very first church that I pastored. Was a was a good man. Was a was a was a uh, by all appearances he was a generous man. He was a he prayed. He 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 fasted. He did everything. He listened to you know. He read the Bible diligently. He um, he came to church regularly, and and yet to come and came to Sunday school to to boot, and even came Sunday nights. He came Sunday morning and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, and he came to Sunday school. I mean, by all intents and purposes, according to us as Americans, this guy was saved, but yet. And he had grown up in church and he had been a teacher and uh, all of his life and had, he was retired a teacher um, you know always paid his taxes was a good citizen right and it was easy it was easy for me um to uh um to think that this man was a was a saved um, i I thought that when he asked me to come over one night that he wanted to talk to me about um about uh joining the church, and he was he he was because he asked me he said you I mean, Pastor Tim, you know, he said, I've been listening to your preaching for, for a while now. And he said, I, I realize," and he said, I've known for a while that I'm not a Christian man. And I was shocked. I mean, how can someone who gives and who is at church all the time and he prays and he, he, he lives a righteous life and he fasts and he reads the Bible and he does all this. How can this man not know Jesus? And yet this man did not know Jesus. He was a good moral person who had heard the gospel preached many times over and over, his, over and over and over and over throughout his life. But it was not until, uh, it was not until the, the few months previously to, all, to his conversion that, he, that God had begun to deal with him through the preaching of the gospel, to, to surrender his life to Christ and to, to repent and believe the gospel. And this was, this was the type of man Cornelius was. He would Truthfully, Cornelius would fit in well in most Christian circles. He really would have. Um, he, he would have fit in well, um, and maybe even better than well in, in, some, in some circles than even in others. But he had a spiritual problem, and that is that as good as Cornelius was, Cornelius was a man who needed Jesus. He was a man who needed to experience and know salvation. He was a man who did not know Christ. He was a man who needed to be saved by, by his Savior. He was a sinner who needed grace to be saved by grace. And it's interesting that God does, in fact, initiate the solution, doesn't he? Because do you notice what the text says here? He says he saw in verse 3, he saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he looked on him, literally he was sort of just sort of stuck at him, he just sort of froze, he saw this, and he was just sort of frozen there. Um, He says, uh, um, uh, it says, it says, and he looked on him and he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up or are come up for memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. And it's interesting that God initiates the solution for Cornelius, but not just for Cornelius, but also the solution for all who are in Cornelius's home and all who were under Cornelius's command as, as, a, as a soldier. And not just that, but even ultimately moving out into the Roman world in general. Because notice this, there was a time, right? 3 p.m., the ninth hour. This is what they said, 3 p.m. There was a vision. Uh, this was not, a, not to be confused with, you know, uh, he was fasting and got really hungry and, and sort of daydreamed some things. No, 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 this is not what happened. There was no confusion because it says he clearly saw in a vision. It is that God sovereignly initiated this vision by sending who? By sending a messenger. And, and, an angel, a literal angel from God, who literally just said to him, "Cornelius," and Cornelius froze. I mean, I, I I've never seen an angel. I doubt any of us maybe have ever seen angels. I mean, there be there may be people that we think are angels, you know, that are because they just they they are such wonderful people. But um, maybe you have. I don't I don't know. But I, I'm going to say this: that I think it would be quite a shocking thing should you and I ever see an angel, um, right? Uh, um there, there, are, there are these real beings named angels, and one visited Cornelius. And I would say that uh, that as a result of God sending Cornelius. But the angel himself didn't preach the gospel, did they? What did the angel do? He said, to, he said to find a man by the name of Simon Peter. He said, go find Simon Peter, and this man's going to preach something to you. It's interesting. God, didn't, God could have preached the gospel through the angel, but that's not how God works, is it? God doesn't send angels to preach the gospel. God sent the angels to herald the the coming of Christ, right? Hark the herald angels sing, right? We can we we you know we know that maybe, um, and and we we see that in the book of Luke or in, yeah in Luke and in, uh, um, in in Matthew where the angels came and heralded Christ's coming for the first time. But it's not the angels that preach the gospel, is it? It's the church. It's us. And as a result, mercy began to flow freely, wasn't it? Mercy was flowing freely because God was using this, this, this work in, in, in this, um, his, his being a, a good man as, as a way to ultimately draw him to faith in Christ. Uh, and, 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 and with this message, he then dispatches some servants, a faithful servant and, and, a, and, and a, um, uh, a soldier to go find this man named Simon Peter. Um, And and he goes and he looks. And and so let me say this. Religion, no matter how good, encouraging or uplifting it is, is too dirty to get us clean before God. I want to say that again. Religion, no matter how good and how encouraging or how uplifting, is far too dirty to get us clean with God. I'll tell you a story. There is a a 55-day festival in India named the Kumbh Mela. The, the Kumbh Mela the Kumila is a 55-day festival of some of the, the largest gathering of people. Last, they had it last year because of COVID. It kept the numbers down, so they were only about 14 million people. But on average, it's between 70 and 100 million people come. Between 70 and 100 million people come. Now, what makes this so interesting? Well, what makes this so interesting is that they all gather together, and the whole purpose of this is for them to all go down to the Ganges River and to bathe. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the Ganges River, but it makes the Ohio look like uh, nice, crystal-clear water, okay? It It makes the Ohio and the Mississippi seem clean, okay? And so this gathering of, of, of all of these people, they come together. And by the way, I would say that the city that they gather in, generally, there are generally three different spots that they gather in, but, the, but, the, but one of the main spots that they gather in is in a town that is about one-tenth the side of St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis, Missouri is not a very big town, but they all gather together and they all go. And the whole purpose of this is for spiritual cleansing. Uh, it it actually, uh, actually, the Ganges River ranks in one of the f- top five most polluted rivers in the entire world. But every year, or every every 12 years to be exact, they go down to the Kumila and they bathe. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that the fact that uh, on, a, on a regular basis people die from dysentery, cholera, hepatitis, um, you name it. All sorts of, of, of diseases are contracted in this time from the Ganges River. Uh, and the point of it is they think that by going down to one of the dirtiest places because in their religion this is what they're told that they can go down and they can all be baptized and bathed and come up clean and this is what it's like with with religion that's without christ it's like us seeking cleansing uh it, it, it can never make us clean apart from christ um, Christ is the only way that can ever... Pu- He's the only one who can ever purify our hearts. He's the only one that can ever purify our souls. He's the only one that can ever cleanse us of our sins and our iniquities. There is no hope apart from Christ. All other religion is like the Hindus that go down and bathe in the Ganges River, in the most, one, of the most dirty, one of the dirtiest rivers in all the world, and die regularly from all of these things. And yet they think that they're, somehow their souls are clean. Uh, this is, this is the, the futility of religion apart from Christ. Uh, this is this is why we need christ all other religious rituals are dirty are dirtier i would even say dirtier than the ganges river uh, and so when we speak of forgiveness when we speak of 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 grace when we speak of love we must speak only of jesus but here's the second reality for us and then it's this is that god is at work through the gospel to destroy our prejudices what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, as I said earlier, right, the Jews, uh, the Jews, uh, to this point, the, the church had mainly been with the Jewish nation. And as a result, uh, Peter then has this, this this beautiful vision. And we see it carried on in chapter 11, because uh, Peter is then summoned among the, the, the Jewish brothers and say, hey, uh, Peter, what are you doing going to the Gentiles, right? Uh, you know better than that. You shouldn't be going to those dirty, filthy, disgusting Gentiles. And Peter has to has to uh, defend his position of going to the Gentiles. But it is interesting that as as we read through through Acts chapter ten verses nine through forty three, we see God at work to destroy even the early, early churches' presidencies against the Gentiles and against those who were, not Jew, who were not Jews. And it's interesting that, Peter, that God, the first thing God does after, uh, or at, simultaneously at the same time he's calling Cornelius, is he's dealing with Peter. Peter of all people, right? Peter, uh, the, leaders of the the leader of the apostles. And, and God prepares his own servant here, doesn't he, to share the gospel. And what is, it, what is it that we see happening then in order for Peter to be prepared to go and preach Jesus to the Gentiles? Well, let me tell you that in verses 9 through 33, I think there's a couple different things that God does with Peter. The first one is found in verses 9 through 16, and it's simply this. God brings Peter to a crisis of faith. God brings Peter to a crisis of faith. What, what do you mean? Well, God tells Peter to do something that Peter never thought he would ever do. After all, God brings down this giant blanket with all this unclean food, and he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, no way. Nothing has ever touched my lips has been unclean, Lord, and you know this. And Jesus says, the Lord says from heaven, he says, do not call common or clean or unclean that which I have made clean. Right? He says this, and this happens three different times. Peter has to be brought to a point, and the point wasn't necessarily the food itself, as much as it was preparing Peter for what was to come. Uh, and so God brings Peter to a crisis of faith where he has to say, am I going to trust and believe the Lord, or am I going to trust and believe me, right, and, and what I think here? And so God does this. God brings, God brings Peter to a crisis of faith where he has to either trust the Lord or, or not trust the Lord. And Peter, as he always does, there's a second part of this, which is he yields to the Lord in obedience in verses 17 through 23. Um, and it says here in verse 17 now, while Peter doubted in himself, and, and the idea here is, is, is not like he, he questioned whether or not it was real. But the idea here is that of questioning, like he was he was going back and forth with himself. Like, OK, I don't understand what this was about. What, what is this about? What, what, what did I just see? What's the point here? I don't quite understand this. That's the idea here with in verse 17. He says, you know, while Peter was questioning himself, asking himself questions, trying to figure this out. That's when the men were sent who had been sent by Cornelius came and they arrived in verse eighteen and it says and he called and asked whether Simon which had sir, which was surnamed Peter was lodged there and while Peter thought on the vision the spirit said to him behold three men seek you rise therefore and get down and go with them doubting nothing or or, or, or questioning nothing for I have sent them and so Peter then has to ha- has to have the question he has to he has to ask himself the question okay. Am I going to trust God? Am I going to believe God? Am I going to do what God has told me to do? And he does. We Thankfully, he does. He, 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 even though he's he, got lots of questions, even though none of this to him really makes a whole lot of sense, Peter still says, you know what? I'm going to yield in obedience. And that's exactly what Peter does. This is why he says in verse 23, which this was completely against Jewish um, uh, clean, clean laws, right? In verse 23, then he called he Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And then, not only that, not only did he bring him to a crisis of faith, not only did he bring him to a point of yielding and obedience, but he also brought him to a point of submitting, to which leads ultimately to blessing. Because in verses 24 through 33, Peter goes with the men... And obviously it takes about four days. The whole journey takes about four days. And they come and they finally come. And they, they, Peter finally is able to preach the gospel uh, to, to them. Matter of fact, in verse 33 here, it says, Immediately, therefore, I sent to you, Cornelius explaining to Peter, and you have done well that you are come. Now, therefore, we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded you of God. It's amazing. It's amazing. God brought a bunch of Gentiles together to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and Peter, Peter's submission leads to blessing. It leads to blessing first for Peter, but then second of all for the Gentiles who are able to hear the gospel because of Peter's willingness to believe and repent uh, and, and to preach the gospel. But because of Peter's willingness to preach the gospel, they, God opens their hearts uh, through His sovereign grace and causes them to repent and believe the gospel. And I want to show you, my my brothers and sisters, that God really does show no favoritism whatsoever. God is not a God of favorites. God doesn't play favorites between Jew and Gentile. God doesn't play favorites between anybody. God plays no favorites. Um, And matter of fact, this is what he says in verse 34 and 35. It says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. And so Peter comes to quickly understand, hey, you know what? I, I've, I've been misunderstanding this whole thing all the wrong, all the time. God doesn't care about your lineage. God doesn't care what side of the tracks you're from. God doesn't care about your religious background. God doesn't care about any of that. God only cares about people who will repent and believe the gospel, his people, those who will repent and believe the gospel. And it's interesting that, that here in all of this, God is showing Peter that he doesn't play favorites between the Jews and the Gentiles, but is actually fulfilling what God promised in Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and 15, right? that all the nations will be blessed through you. And it's interesting here because God calls his people to himself faithfully through the proclamation of the gospel. It is interesting, right? God calls his people faithfully um, to proclaim the gospel here. Because in verse 36 through 43, this is exactly what Peter begins to do. He begins to open his mouth. He opens his mouth and he begins preaching. He opens his mouth and he begins speaking the gospel. And what is it that Peter says? Well, let's read. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him and we are witnesses of all things which we he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they slew and hanged on a tree him God raised up the third day and showed him openly not to all the people but to witnesses chosen before God even to us who did not who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is which or he, that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the living and dead to give, him, to give all the prophets witness that through his name, will, whosoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. You Notice the beautiful gospel there. If you don't, let me show you the ninefold progression here. There's nine, beginning in verse 37. First, the gospel is grounded in history. Peter grounds the gospel in history here. He says to, the, to Cornelius, he says, first, God did this in the nation of Israel. Right? That's what he says. Second of all, he says that the gospel is, includes Jesus' perfect life. That's what he says. Verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went abroad doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Right? So he, was, lived, perfect, he per, lived a perfect life, sinless life. The gospel tells of Christ's death here. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they slew and hanged on a tree. The gospel proclaims his resurrection. That's what he does in verse 40, isn't it? Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. In verse 41, he verifies the gospel by showing him to people. Peter says not to everyone, but certainly to witnesses before God. And and, 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 and they, these were those who, who did eat and drink with him and, and, and others. And also the gospel, what? The gospel shows and promises that, uh, uh, so the gospel is verified through, through witnesses. And then the gospel was the gospel is also verified through the promises that Jesus is going to come again in verse 42. And he commanded us to preach, Peter says, to the people and to testify that he is which he, that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And then 43, the gospel tells of the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Verse verse 43, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. But then also he goes on, he says the gospel promises forgiveness to all who will repent and believe. And that's what he just said. If you will repent and believe the gospel, you will be saved. And then the gospel is to be shared, right? Because is what he says. In verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people. And this is our mission, right? This this wasn't just with the early church. This is with all of us. Like this is this is our mission. This is our goal. Our goal is to preach Jesus, like Peter preached to the to Cornelius and to his household. This is our commission. This is our commandment to go and to make disciples of all nations, teaching and commanding, uh, teaching them everything that Jesus commanded us. And and and, and then uh, once they uh, once they repent and believe the gospel, to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then to teach them some more. This is the whole purpose. This is how the, this is how we 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 propagate the the mission of the church and this is the beauty that 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 this is the beauty of it this hasn't changed like 2000 years later this hasn't changed like this was this was in the beginning and this is still today this was in the beginning and this still happens this is that was in the beginning of the of the church this is still what we proclaim this is still what we do this hasn't it's that simple right people try to make things so complicated sometimes oh that's too easy oh that's just too simple no 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 no, no. No no, no no no, no no no, it is it is straightforward. it is straightforward, it is straightforward. It's not simplistic, but it is straightforward, and we're called to share this and called to make disciples. Thirdly, let me show you this. it's found in verses forty four through forty eight and it's simply this: God's work through the gospel results in spiritual blessings. For all nations, for all nations, and we say this. Well, look with me here in verse forty-four and forty-eight. It says, um, "While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, uh, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they they heard them heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should be baptized should not be baptized?'" which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So it is interesting that, that, that from this point, there's a major shift. And from this point, Peter, um, up until uh, uh, about the Jerusalem council in, in uh, Acts 15, will sort of still play the central key role. But Paul is beginning to ascend, Saul Paul. Saul was his, his uh, Jewish name. Paul was his Gentile name, Greek name, Roman name. And uh, so uh, <clears throat> he, uh, uh, he, he begins to play a more prominent figure. And then after Acts 15, Paul just bursts onto the scene and Peter is sort of left in the dust. But God uses this in a special way for all nations because all nations need to hear the gospel and all men everywhere must be commanded to repent and believe the gospel. Um, will all men repent and believe the gospel? No, most certainly not. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said that if he knew who the elect were, if they had a you know a, 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 a yellow streak running up the running up their backs, he would lift their shirts to see if that was them and preach the gospel to them. But he said they don't, so we preach the gospel to everybody, and that's still true today. We still preach the gospel to everyone. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone, everywhere, commanding men and women, boys and girls to repent and believe the gospel. We don't preach it weekly or um, we don't preach it with a, uh, with a milk toastiness in our voice, but we preach it with, with, with diligence and with, with, great, uh, uh, with great truth resounding in our bones. Because faith, not, not strength of faith, but the object of faith is what saves. And this is what they believed. They repented. They believed in the Lord Jesus whom Peter was preaching to them. They repented and they, they, they came to faith in Christ. And as always, right, we're not just talking about feeling sorry for things, right? We're not, we don't command people to feel bad about bad stuff that they've done, right? Um, They, uh, they, we we don't, right? We don't, we don't, we don't do that. We don't tell people, well, you know, you should feel bad for what you've done. No, what we say is you need to repent. You need to turn away from your pride and your selfishness and your self-ambition and and your self-justifying and turn away from your sin and you turn away from everything and you turn and flee to Christ, and yet, so often, I think people think, think like that. Uh, I heard, um, I think it was back, I think it was uh, 2018, I think, I was reading, because I, I do read, actually, I read far and wide. I, I read uh, newspapers and media all the way from Canada to uh, Japan and everywhere else. And I ran across a story um, that, uh, that was quite interesting to me. Uh, apparently, this happened in Ontario, uh, Canada. There was, a, uh, there was a man, there was a family who had been robbed. Um, they, they, they were gone, and, and a man had bro- or a person had broken into their house and had stolen. basically stolen blind. Well, <clears throat> the next day they came home after, I guess, going to the police station, filing a report, and, and, and coming home. They found all their stuff. All their stuff was sitting on the porch with uh, $50 that said, I hope this takes care of the damage, and an apology note that said, that said, and I quote, dear family, I have greatly wronged you. I'm the one who committed the serious crimes against your family, and I want to apologize from the bottom of my heart. It was nothing personal, and I didn't go through any of your personal belongings. I have been going through a very hard time financially lately, and I made the worst mistake of my entire life last night. I would also like to, com- to commit to at least 15 co- hours of community service to help partially atone for what I've done. Then goes on to talk about the $50 that he leaves. And yet here's here what the here's what the the, uh, the investigators in uh, in Ontario, Canada had to say. They went they went on to say that it is great that the thief apologized, and that it was it was and it was a heartfelt apology. Like they had no doubt. But the but the but the police officer that was that was uh, that was interviewed went on to say, but it doesn't matter if he was sorry or not. He broke the law, and the law must be atoned for. Right? He has to pay for breaking the law. That's what the officer went on to say. He said that it's great that he apologized and I'm glad that he's sorry, but it isn't enough to satisfy the letter of the law. And he's right. He's right. According to the legal system of Canada or America or anywhere else, I mean, you you break into somebody's business or somebody's home and you steal all their stuff, even if you return it all and you say, oops, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, the law has been broken. And there is, the law must be, it must be satisfied. The letter of the law must be satisfied. But the reality for us is that Christ has satisfied the righteous demands of the law. Christ, in dying on our behalf, has satisfied the righteous requirements of the law. Not that we get off scot free, it's not the way this works. Somebody has to pay for the crime that has been committed against Almighty God in sinning against Him and committing cosmic rebellion and cosmic treason against Him. Somebody. And so, who did God provide? He provided His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And so, for us, it is amazing that we, as God's people, have been given such a precious gift to share with others. We have been given such a precious gift To share with others. So I would simply close this this time like this. One, I would just simply remind you and I that our God is a missionary God and He loves to save sinners. It glorifies Him to save sinners. He loves to save those who are are far from Christ. He greatly enjoys saving sinners and making them into sons and daughters. And our goal must be no less. We must enjoy calling sinners to repent and believe the gospel. We must, we must, no matter what, we must call sinners to repent and to believe the gospel. This is how God grows the church. This is how God works as the church preaches the gospel. And for us who are Christians, um, we, we should never be... We should should always be ready, willing, and able to minister to the least of these, to those who are apart from Christ. There is no greater least of these than those who are apart from Christ. And it doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter who they are. We should be ready to minister to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would say, if there are any, I I don't know that there are, but if there are (laughs) any here this, this, this afternoon who do not know Christ, let me just simply say this. The world can talk uh, all they want about equality and equal rights, and they can talk all they want to, and they can pontificate all of their grandiose ideas about what justice and blah 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 stuff looks like. But they have no basis for any of that belief. There is no basis for that belief. All for all their grandiose pontificating, the world still calls you to build your identity mainly on your class. Your race, your culture, your performance in this life. Christ calls you to, to null call, Christ calls and nullifies all of that. And he says, Find your identity in me. And so we are to build our identity upon Christ. We're to build our identity in Christ. We are to build our 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 love for one another and our love for sinners in Christ. We are to build a, 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 a community of people that, that sincerely loves sinners, who sincerely loves those who are far from Christ, that we would be able to preach Jesus to them and see by God's sovereign grace that he would sovereignly reach down into their hearts and transform them into sons and daughters of God. Let us honor Christ in all of this. Let's pray. Father, uh, our prayer this, morning, this evening, this afternoon, is that you would use us to, to make much of Christ. God, we know that in and of ourselves, we don't have the ability to do any of this. And we are completely, desperately, I pray, reliant and dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct us. He would, he would, he would focus, us, focus us in upon the Word and to be obedient to the Word cause us to turn our backs on self-righteousness or self-justification or anything else and flee to Christ if we don't know Christ. If we do know Christ, help us to constantly be reminded of grace, the grace that found us, the grace that sought us out, the grace that bought us when we, when we hated God, when we were not even looking for, for you perhaps. You came busting into our worlds and you kicked down the doors and you brought us out and you set us into your kingdom. And God, we thank you for your sovereign grace that has been bestowed upon us. We pray now that you would help us to be motivated from this position to preach Jesus everywhere. And may we do this in Jesus' name. Amen.